Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode of the Journey Women Podcast, we're talking about anxiety and depression. I asked my friends Hope Blanton and Christine Gordon to join me because Hope is a trained counselor and Christine, aka Chris, has formal theological training. Together they write at his feet Bible studies, which I can't recommend highly enough. And all that said, you might be surprised to learn that both of them actually have and still wrestle with either anxiety or depression. Today, Hope and Chris and I talk about everything from where anxiety and depression originated to what it looks like for them to live in light of redemption, even though they continue to wrestle with anxiety and depression in their day-to-day lives. Whether or not you have personal experience with such struggles, I know this conversation is going to bless your socks off because it did mine, and we pray it's a helpful tool to you both personally and in your discipleship relationships. Now, on to my conversation with Hope and Chris on the topic of anxiety and depression. Chris and Hope, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Thank you. We're hey, here. We are so excited. <laughs> <laughs> this is so fun. Hope, you reached out to me many months ago now at this point, and you were telling me about yes. the studies that you and Chris write. They're called At His Feet Studies, and I thought they were pretty cool. And I'm going to be honest, I thought for the longest time that Chris was actually your husband. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But come to find out, actually, Hope, your husband is Ray Blanton, who just so happened to be one of my Forge teachers way back in the day. So all the crazy crazy connections were so fun. It was just such a fun thing to see how the Lord kind of crossed our paths yet again online. So welcome. It's a joy to have you on the Journey Women podcast today. I would love for the listeners just to get to hear a little bit about who you are, both of you. And let's start it off with Chris. So this is Chris. I'm a 44-year-old pastor's wife. I grew up in central Illinois. I'm married to Michael, have been for 15 years, though if it were up to Michael, it would have been 18 years because he tried once and I was not yet ready. So now it's 15 (laughs) years. He is... He currently is an area coordinator for RUF, which is a Reformed University Fellowship, which works with college students. I have three children, Elliot, who is 13, Elsa is 11, and Ezra is 8. And I work as the intake coordinator for a counseling practice here in St. Louis, and I am one half of At His Feet Studies. Very cool. How about you, Hope? 
So my name is Hope Blanton, and I have been married to Ray, the guy you were mentioning, the Forge guy, um, for 20 years. He's a professor. We have three kids, ages 10 to 15, um, and I'm a social worker, and I currently work as a therapist at a private practice in San Antonio, and I'm the other half of At His Feet Studies with my <laughs> beloved Chris Gordon. Not, not her husband. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, and I love At His Feet Studies. Um, that's no secret. I really appreciate how you guys just walk people through um, observation, interpretation, and application in a really helpful and practical way. And I actually came to love you guys through those studies. And then you've been such a help to me. Um, For everybody who listens to Journey Women, Chris and Hope have been behind many an episode specifically this year, just encouraging me along the way because they have really specific gifts that have been a blessing. And I wanted to share those gifts with all of you because I think they will bless you specifically in relation to the topic at hand today which is anxiety and depression. And Hope, you mentioned it, but you're a therapist. And Chris, you have formal theological training. And so as we became friends, I came to see and understand that both of you have um, an experience with anxiety and depression, which I know many of our listeners do. So what is your experience with anxiety and what does that look like for you guys today? So my first memory of depression was probably when I was 11 And it was during a thunderstorm. I remember standing at the end of my driveway and asking God, if you can hear me, if you're real, I just want you to take me. I don't want to be here anymore. And I didn't have categories. I didn't know the word depression. I mean, this was in the eighties, you know, I didn't have any kind of category for what was happening, but the despair was very real. And that was kind of what I lived in off and on. I didn't really have a place to put it or know what to do with it, except try to push it away. Fast forward to seminary, when my depression had gotten to a dangerous place, I was not going to class, I was not leaving my apartment, I was suicidal. And about that time, a good friend of mine hooked me up with a counselor. I started going, really processing my story for the first time, got on some antidepressants, and the combination of those two things, processing my story with a counselor who I saw for quite a while and being on antidepressants, some real change started to happen. And I started to have hope for the first time in a long time. So now almost 20 years later, I still deal with depression. It ebbs and flows, um, comes and goes, you know, depending on what's going on probably three times since then it's gotten to a place where it's been pretty debilitating for a period of time. But for the most part, I'm able to function quite well with some disciplines in place in my life. But it's it's something I still struggle with. It's a present reality that I'll probably struggle with for the rest of my life. Hmm. We're going to continue to talk about that, but hope I really want the listeners to also hear from you in regard to what your experience with anxiety is like. Yeah. So looking back, um, similar to Chris, I feel like I see a thread throughout most of my life, like even when I was young, but I remember getting really anxious at the end of high school and not really knowing what to call it, um, kind of like Chris described. And so, but on a scale of one to 10, I feel like I experience some level of anxiety every day. Like it never goes be- below a two, but about every three to four years, I will have a major anxiety episode where just my serotonin in my brain will dip so low that it'll make it hard to work and sleep and eat. I mean, you name it, (laughs) leave the house um, for about two weeks to a month until I get regulated. And so I'm such a hyperproductive person. So it's always surprises me every time this happens in my life. So like Chris, my daily story involves anxiety. Some days it's more than others, but it's just kind of the thing that 
that, you know, Chris and I joke all the time, isn't this funny? We write these Bible studies and here we are, you know, she's the, the depression girl, I'm the anxiety girl, but this is just something that both of us will deal with, you know, probably till glory. Hopefully it'll lessen, but, but it'll always be present. I think even just hearing y'all's stories, women will be encouraged because I think the lie that a lot of us believe is that if we did have more, you know, knowledge of God theology, or if we did have a better understanding of, you know, who we are, like kind of what we do in therapy, that maybe we wouldn't struggle with these things. And yet here you both are, Mm -hmm. (laughs) two Mm -hmm. professionals still wrestling through these things. Um, How do we distinguish between anxiety and depression? Like, I know they often are talked about hand in hand, like we're doing today, um, but there's really some unique differences. Could you guys kind of break those down for us? Yeah, often anxiety and depression can show up together. They kind of are like two sides of the same coin, but people experience them differently typically. So anxiety causes us to enter this flight or fight state with, you know, racing thoughts or hyper alert. Sometimes panic attacks can show up, sometimes not, just depends on the person. Um, Whereas depression causes us to feel sadness, you know, and this low motivation, this helplessness and fatigue, um, or sometimes just kind of a numbing out to the world. But both can lead to someone feeling like they're having a really hard time regulating their emotions, just dealing with day-to-day stressors. So that's kind of how they both impact. And, you know, there's clinical, you know, diagnoses for these of like clinical depression or, um, you know, generalized anxiety disorder that have specific markers that people look for. So that was just kind of a broad overview of, of what those look like, though. So why do we struggle with this stuff? Like, where did these hardships originate and why do so many of us struggle with these things? Well, this is just, I mean, the sin or the fall is kind of what you're asking, right, Hunter? Like, what what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, why do we struggle with anxiety and depression at all? Yeah, exactly. So I think we can we can go one way or the other. When we talk about things, there's this interconnectedness, and sometimes we try to separate them. So are they sinful responses to a broken world? Yes, absolutely. Are they also the inherited lived body consequences of living in this broken world? Yes. I don't think we can say it's either or. So that the Bible talks about our hearts and bodies being these interconnected things so that the fallenness of our hearts and the brokenness of our physical bodies, we can't separate those things. So the same is true when we're talking about anxiety and depression. Like you talked about, Hunter, just a minute ago, we can fall off the road of reality into the ditches on either side. And Christians a lot of times do this, which can leave people who struggle with these things feeling very isolated and ashamed and in a place where they just can't talk about them. So we can over-spiritualize them on the one side of the road and we can say, this is a willful choice where we have total culpability. If we just repented and believe more, if we are better at our repentance, then we could overcome this. It's all our responsibility. But that view completely undercuts the reality of how pervasive the effects of the fall are. And that sin didn't just affect our relationship with God and other people, it affected everything, including our brain chemistry, like Hope was talking about earlier, serotonin levels, neurochemistry, all those things are affected by the fall. But then on the other side, we can say, we can under-spiritualize anxiety, depression, and we can talk about them only in terms of biological or physical realities, totally disconnected from the heart. 
but this is, that's not a biblical anthropology. When, when Jesus deals with people, if you watch him in the gospels, he always attends both. He's always talking about the body and the soul. He pushes back against the fall, but he redeem, he, he brings redemption to the whole person. And there are a couple places in the gospels, I think that that really illustrate this. If you, if you remember the story of the, par- the paralytic in Luke 5, mm-hmm. you know, the friends bring their friend and you think about this man on a mat and they cut a hole in the ceiling and they drop him in, <laughs> in front of Jesus to try to get him close. And it's obvious that what they're going for is physical healing. Everybody knew this, right? but how Jesus responds is he doesn't immediately heal. He looks at him and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. That's what he says to this man who's paralyzed. Why does he do that? They've come for physical healing. But here again, it's Jesus who does not, he does not compartmentalize heart, body, like we do in the West. They're, they're always interconnected for him. And, and then later we see it again in John 5, you know, there's the guy at the temple by the pool of Bethesda and Um, you know, he can't get healed. He can't get to the water when it gets stirred up. And eventually Jesus heals him. And later he finds him and says to him, the healed man, the physically healed man, see you're well again, stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. He heals him physically, but he admonishes him about his spiritual life. So for Jesus, they're they're always interconnected. And for us, if we want to have a, a robust biblical anthropology, we can't separate those things. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. How does the gospel actually impact our experience with anxiety and depression? Like a lot of times I read those stories in the gospels like you were talking about, and sometimes I have a hard time like figuring out what that looks like for me personally, you know, like how the Lord heals me both physically and spiritually like you were talking about. So for me with my anxiety, I mean, so the gospel is God entering into the brokenness that's happened to his creation, you know, so he sends his son to do this work of redemption and to reverse the effects of the fall. So on a small scale for me, you know, that looks like him entering into this very hard, chronic thing in my life. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, when Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh that torments him, you know, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And that's what it's like. Like I beg Jesus for mercy, you know, to take it from me. But I also know that through the cross that he has given me sufficient grace, you know, for me to handle this or to not handle it, but to be in it, even this hard thing, because he's in it with me. 
Um, you know, and I think if, if he wasn't in it with me, it would just swallow me whole because it feels like it swallows me a lot. So in those times when it's debilitating, I literally beg him for mercy. Like I visualize his feet and I wrap around his feet. You know, I see the scar in his, in his feet and I just say, please have mercy on me, Jesus, you know? Mm. And he shows up and almost uses this awful thing to kind of like tether me close to him. You know, he transforms this terrifying panic to a place where he teaches me to pray and see his redemption, you know, of fall in my life, like in real time, I get to watch it. Uh, it's almost holy ground. And the only reason I can even call it holy ground is because the gospel is the only thing that can turn something terrifying, panic ridden, or like just the stuff, the crazy making, well, I say the crazy place in my brain to anything that's remotely a sweet experience between me and the Lord. But you know, not always, and I would rather not have it, but that's how I've experienced the gospel impacts me. And I know a lot of people listening would maybe say that they've not felt this impact. I mean, I talk to clients all the time in my office who have a hard time seeing the redemption in this place. And I, I just want to say that Chris and I really see you. We, we know what that feels like, that pit, that darkness. We know how that feels. We know what it feels like to be there, mm-hmm. you know? And so we will hope for you to feel his presence even more in this awful place. And, you know, even when you feel like you can't hope that for yourself. Mm. Has that just been such a process of, like you said, be in it as opposed to you delineate that from like dealing with it or trying to get beyond it? Yes, I would say for me, I'm thinking even even as Hope is talking, I'm thinking this is a place where I have known intimacy with the Lord probably more than any other place, because in that place of brokenness, he meets me there and Part of what's also true and, you know, hope talking about him entering and you see in the gospels over and over and over, we're, we're writing Luke part two right now. And so that's why it's so on my mind. Mm -hmm. You see him entering over and over and always coming near. He's always moving toward the broken person. He's not afraid. He's not put off. You're not too much. It's not too much of a Mm -hmm. problem. It's never that. And the other thing about the gospel, what it does in this place is it tells us a story that is bigger than the now so that. We didn't start in a place full of pain and brokenness, and we're not going to end in a place full of pain and brokenness that I know, I know where I am going. And some days that is what, that is all I have to hold on to. The fact that I will see God's glory, it is blindingly beautiful, and that will be my place that I will be Mm -hmm. face to face with him. And, you know, sometimes if you are in the middle, especially with depression, if the darkness is very, very dark knowing that this is not all there is, is what you have to hold on to. And that's what the gospel tells you. This is not all there is. It's not the end of the story. Really practically, what does it look like when you're in that moment where the darkness just feels like it's covering you or where you feel your heart racing hope just with anxiety? Mm -hmm. What does it look like to live in light of redemption, holding on to that hope as you continue this wrestling with this very real and prevalent like source of anxiety or depression in your daily life? Well, you know, it's like I was thinking in this main answer this, I was thinking just when y'all were talking a second ago and you asked about just how that, instead of trying to get around it, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's like, you know, we are, the gospel tells us over and over again that you are weak and you are broken and you're needy. But, you know, there's so much of us that resist that Mm -hmm. and we don't lead with that. So we always lead with our giftedness and our strengths. And I, I feel like I operated out of that for at least a decade and a half of like, I know, I know the gospel says this, but I'm going to lean it, you know, and so what this anxiety does, this thorn in my flesh is it constantly reminds me of what is actually really true about all of us, which is that we are weak and broken and needy and that we might be able to mask that with lots of different things, but 
learning how to like lead with my weakness. So part of that connects to what you just asked, which is, well, then how in those moments of being in the pit, you know, how do you function? How do you survive? And, and Chris and I talk about it all the time because, you know, we both had a recent season of where we both had it. We're like, I mean, calling each other like, oh my gosh, it requires so much. You just can't hide. You, you're so desperate that you can't hide from Jesus and you, you're so desperate you can't hide from other people. You are so needy for people to enter in that the only way you survive is being like, I can't put on a front that I'm this put together person. I am sometimes, but not like, not today, not this month. And so that means you're going to have to come and like sit by my bedside and pray for me. And, um, you're going to have to like, listen to my crazy fears. And, and so for me, it's required this, I've had to turn, you know, my last three major bouts of anxiety, I have literally had to turn to the body of Christ, my Mm -hmm. local body and be like, I cannot hide. I know you see me as this productive person that does all these things and serves and cares. And I am that person, but I also walk with this limp and I need you now to come and care for me, which means you're going to have to come and feed my children and, and lay with me next to me in bed and pray over me. I've had all these things happen. And so in that moment, it requires this, you just, you, 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 it's, it's like this forced humility. You don't want to be humble like this. You don't want to have to just let it all hang out, but you're so desperate. You don't have a choice. And so in that desperation, you get to watch people just come and enter in. And it is, it is like glory on display to watch these people that love Jesus come and sit by you and put their hand on you and pray for you. And I, even when I come out of my, the pit, you know, as Chris and I both call it, I just reflect like, oh my gosh, that woman sat by my bedside or, you know, or my husband, you know, held me like this. Like it just, and you see um, the beauty that you got to see because of this horrible thing. And so for me, those, those are the more abstract things. I mean, I have practical ways that I get through it, but those are, those are the things that have been huge for me. Do you have anything to add to that, Chris? Yeah, I was just going to say along the lines of hope, but also I, I think some of it is because we have to so push against our culture that tells us be independent, be self-sufficient. And in these places, I I literally will Vox Hope crying or I will, you know, text my friends and say, please pray for me. It's right now. And I cannot get out of my bed. And that is not the way our society functions. It tells you, you never show your weakness to other people. You never tell them that's right. Get yourself together. And you know what? That is not what that's not what Jesus works with. He works with broken, humble, needy people. That's where he works. And so when he forces us into this place, just like Hope said, we see more of him. That's what we get. We see more of him. And it is, that's where we, I have known, we've both known this intimacy with him because we are forced to be in a place of humility. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that song by Indelible Grace, uh, Come Ye Sinners. Uh, You guys know that song? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All the mm-hmm. fitness he requires is to feel your need, need of, of him. him. Yeah. Yes. This he gives you. This he gives you, man. It just it makes me weep because I I just I really wrestle with that too. And I know mm-hmm. so many of our listeners do. And I especially wrestle with that whenever I'm in a position of leadership where I feel like there's a mm-hmm. lot of eyes on me. When I feel like, yes. man, I really gotta get this right because there's so many people looking at me. But how does suffering in this capacity, and hope you kind of touched on this already, but how does suffering with these things actually shape us and equip us and enable us to be able to lead others and to love them well when they're struggling with some of the same realities? Yeah. So it's like when you suffer, and I totally can relate to that, Hunter. And I think that's 
why for a long time I would operate as don't show your weakness because you're leading as opposed to a real leader shows their weakness um, and lets me lead, right? Like it's like this, it's this thing. And so, you know, when you suffer with anything chronic, and I would say in, in this life, most of us will in some way, it naturally trains you of what to, what it looks like to walk with a limp, you know, as Chris and I keep calling it, but it's, you're walking with a limp towards glory. So then you know what it feels like. You know, you can lead and love others because you can relate to those hard places in their life. And so, and I have found as a leader, when I am vulnerable about it in appropriate ways, you know, vulnerable sharing, you know, and, and appropriate boundaries and stuff, it, it's like, I'm amazed at the, the response. You know, the, um, the, the time before last when I had a major anxiety bout, I just started working at the church with Michael, uh, Chris's husband at the time. Well, she's still, she's still, <laughs> still married, married to him. <laughs> Praise God. But, but he was the pastor at the time. I know that's a different, that's a different um, journey with conversation. But anyway, so he, he was wonderful to work with. And I had only worked there like four or five months, Chris. I mean, it was so new. And I got drop kicked again with anxiety where I had oh. one of those episodes where, oh my gosh. And I thought, uh, I'm leading all these women. Are you kidding me? Like, I can't. But I, again, so desperate, so needy, felt so scary in my brain that I was like, I can't hide this. So I just started turning to these women that I'd been ministering to and would continue to minister for the next couple of years to. And I just said to them, I need your help. And it was astounding. And they just all said, it feels so good to care for you. You always care for us. It felt so good to come and sit by your bed because you sat by my bed. Like it, it just was like, oh my gosh. And it made me realize, why have I been hiding this as a mm. leader? Like this is bringing life. This is bringing intimacy between these women and Jesus because now they realize, oh, I don't, I can pray about this to him. I can tell him this. So uh, for, for me, it's definitely felt like it's just equipped me to be more empathetic, but then also to know as a leader that, you know, leading is showing weakness um, and not trying to hide it all the time. Mm-hmm. That's really, really encouraging. Chris, do you have anything to add? Just that, you know, there, there are women watching when you lead and Hope's in, been in more leadership positions than I have. And she, when she does that, she gives life to other people, right? So that there are all these women going, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? And then, then when they watch the leader lead with vulnerability, then there, there's this freedom given them. Oh, it's okay for me to be this way. I don't have to cover this up. And totally. that's, that's pretty life-giving from a leader. I feel that way just talking to you guys. I think that was what was so encouraging is because, you know, you look at these people that you think are like theological giants or or whatever, and then and then you hear that they have those same real struggles, and it's almost hard to believe because you're just like, oh, I don't know. Sometimes I just, I get this false perception that people who I, you know, know walk in intimacy with the Lord, like have it all together. And that's just not, that's not reality. Hope, you shared about how your uh, community came alongside you when you were struggling with anxiety and how mm-hmm. they sat next to you when you were in bed and how they fed your kids. What are some of the most helpful things that we can do as the body of Christ just to love and care for the members who are wrestling with anxiety and or depression? You know, I've also had the experience of a very humbling experience of having to ask extremely deliberately for help. And I think Mm. you can, when you're around somebody who may not, I'm I'm thinking specifically about depression. A lot of times you don't know what to ask for. And it's this overwhelming feeling of, I know I need help. I know I'm, I'm sinking and I don't even know what I need. And specifically with depression, part of what is helpful is to keep checking in and to get down in the pit with people. And 
what it's looked like for me is people say, you know, to name the reality of where I am. It is scary to say, especially in a church context with a room full of people that look like they have it all together. Hey, right. you know what? This morning before I got in my car, I had suicidal thoughts. I'm not talking about this morning, but I'm talking about just in general, in a church context, we also have this understanding that that's too shameful to talk about. And so to right. have somebody like Hope or other friends who will come and speak on my turf into where I am, and this is what we can do for other people when we know when they give us some clue that they're really struggling we can come alongside them. And what that looks like is speaking that language and saying, hey, where are you really? Maybe it looks like giving them a scale. That's one of the most helpful things anybody ever did for me is said, hey, on a scale, like Hope talked about earlier, her anxiety on a day-to-day basis is sometimes a two. Sometimes it's an eight. And to have somebody say, I'm going to validate this feeling and where you're struggling right now and say, put it on a scale. Where are you in a, on a you know, one to 10 scale? Do you have a plan right. for suicide? Have you had those thoughts lately? Then I'm, I know that I'm dealing with somebody who can deal with my reality. It's not too much for them. I'm not going to overwhelm them. They're not going to run off and call 911 this second when I'm standing in church having a conversation with them. And that is so helpful because then I am seen and I am heard. And I think we can, we can give that to each other in just the way that we talk to each other and not freaking out. And welcoming that kind of conversation, all those things bring a whole lot of freedom. You know, I think just as somebody who's listening, I'm like, well, yeah, but Hope is a therapist, so she's not afraid of those things. Like, how do you discern when it's appropriate, say you're struggling with something to that degree, um, Mm -hmm. to share? Because I think a lot of times we get verses that we know and love and that are so familiar to us thrown back in our face. And then it, I think, perpetuates this lie that we can't come to our brothers and sisters because we're afraid that we're just going to have a, you know, scriptural band-aid kind of slapped on this really deep wound in a way that doesn't really meet us where we're at in that moment. Yeah. And I think it does take discernment, right? Of like who can handle our suffering. I mean, I'll tell people sometimes in my office, you know, um, you can kind of test people Mm -hmm. out. I mean, I test people Mm -hmm, out. So you kind of give them a little bit, see what they do with it. And then if it's like, oh, that wasn't safe, then you're not going to give them all of it. So you kind of think, okay, who, who you kind of just test people, you know, I mean, I know this is probably a misuse of that scripture, like where Jesus says, don't give your pearls to swine. But I always think of it with suffering, you know, suffering is like our pearls and not everyone can hold it. And so you can kind of test and see, and over time you can figure out who's safe. Mm-hmm. But also let's say that you're the person hearing this and you feel yes. overwhelmed by it, mm-hmm. which is fair, you know, always widen the circle. You know, you don't have to be the only one you can say, oh man, I'm so glad you told me. And I, you know, honestly, I'm so glad you did. And I don't really know what to do with that. Can we, can can we tell your husband or if this person's married or, you know, can we talk to the pastor or the woman that's in leadership here or where, whatever context you're in, widen this circle to someone else who, so that you're not the only one that knows you're not the only one that's carrying that. And so then that, that way you don't feel so like, oh crap, I don't know if I did the right thing there, you know, and just kind of, kind of working with that. I mean, I think, and also I think too, you know, you think, wow, how do I even enter into these huge anxiety, depression things? I think that it's just real simple in the sense, I'm not trying to oversimplify it. You're just present. And you just ask good, and you just ask questions. Yes. That's really kind of like all we need. We need you just to be there, just be present. I mean, so much of Jesus' ministry is he's just present, you know? And then 
asking questions of like, tell me what you need. What feels helpful to you? And they say, I don't yes. know. Then you can start asking, would it be helpful if I made you lunch? Or would it be helpful if I took your kids? Or yes. would it be helpful if we went for a walk? Start offering. But instead of putting advice on them, and we all like to give advice. I'm at, I have my hand raised right now. <laughs> but like, just ask what they need. I mean, even though I struggle with anxiety, people feel it different in everyone's body. Just like Chris struggles with depression, just be, doesn't mean she understands every depressed mm-hmm. person. But the best weapon against that is that we ask so that we know and so they can tell us. You know, the Lord also often will say that to me when I'm counseling people. You might have insight, but you don't know. You see a fraction of what's right. going on with this person. So don't assume, be present and just ask what, what's helpful. What do you need? And, you know, because sometimes when we assume we know, then sometimes certain questions make it worse. And I, what I mean by that is like, you know, just so that way, if you just keep asking what's helpful to them, then you're going to be able to help them. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, And so I just think that those ways caring for people are huge. Does it scare you guys to like tell the whole Journey Women audience or just lots of people that you don't know that these are struggles that you still (laughs) wrestle with? I think I would have said 15 years ago, oh my gosh, yes. But I have been so I don't know what other word to use other than like beaten by the wind that I just think I don't, I don't have anything to prove anymore. You know what I mean? I think like Jesus is what Mm -hmm. I have. You know what? If you can do something helpful with what I've got, great. If it, you know, I got nothing to prove there. There's nothing left of like my glory. And honestly, it is such a relief to tell you the truth. It's such a relief to get to that point where I just think I don't have to keep up my reputation or my glory or what somebody thinks of me. I don't have to. It's okay. I'm just weak. That's what I am. What brought you to that point where you feel like you can just walk and surrender and and, and open confession? I think for me, it came because, well, for one, the the chronicness of it, it's lasted so long. And then it also was a turning point for me because I would have said the same thing as Chris. If you would have asked my 30-year-old self to do this, I would be like, eh, I don't think so. That's right. <laughs> um, you know, that's what a decade of sanctification will do for you. I mean, I think I think for, for me, it's like when I have shared, people have gone, oh my gosh, thank you. And they've said, me too, right? In another way, I either have that same issue or something different. I mean, and that's why, you know, um, you know so those, those things can be powerful when other people say, I've experienced that. And so for me, I've seen so many people say, oh my gosh, that's so helpful to hear that that's, that's true of you. And so I've just thought, uh, why would I hide that? You know, it's, it's this place where God has shown his glory. And, you know, Chris and I have talked about this for the last two years as at his feet has started and, and grown. We've said there'll be a moment where we will need to share this. And we want to, we want to show other women who struggle with this or love people that struggle with this, that God uses broken cisterns and he, he works his glory in all kinds of people. And that you, um, you know, and so I think that like, it feels like a privilege to get to, to share it. Frankly, at this point in my life, it just feels like a privilege. I've just seen it just set so many people free from their own hiding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We talk about that, the jars of clay verse a lot that only we're, we're like, we're jars of clay like cracked and all the paint came (laughs) off and there's this big hole on the side. It's like dripping (laughs) off. It's crooked. You know, it's just, it is, it's what she's saying. It's so when you, you know, and I think it happens more as you age, but also as you see just the Jesus's tenderness. And I I mean, it leaves me with the question more and more, why, why do you let us do this? Why you could have done all your work in ministry 
with no help. It's not as if you need us. So the fact that you allow us to be a part of this is just crazy. I mean, what in the world? We're such messes. And so uh, why would we not, like Hope said, why would we not talk about that? It shows his glory, you know, clearly. Mm-hmm. If, <laughs> if there's anything good coming from us, you know, we would love for you to know that instead of all the broken ways we tried to get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, only by his grace. Well, I'm encouraged just to hear from you guys, really. And I, I have been encouraged as a friend. Um, and so thank you so much for opening up and sharing with the listeners today. If somebody is listening to this now and they're thinking, man, I just really want to grow. Either I want to grow in my ability to relate to my brothers and sisters who have these struggles, or I have these struggles and I just really like to learn a little bit more. Do you guys have any resources that you'd recommend? Yeah. Some that I think are helpful are not what you would necessarily think. You would think a depressed person who's struggled with depression for a long time would be like, here are things that might cheer you up. But no, the things that have been helpful for me are things that really clearly talk about the brokenness of the world and it make, they make me feel not crazy. So one of my favorite is called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. It's a book by Cornelius Plattinga, and it it lays out all the ways that sin has affected the world. It gives words to the weight of our longing and the sadness that we feel about the brokenness of the world. Really, really helpful. Um, another one that I would say is uh, there's a book called Affliction by Edith Schaefer. You know, Francis Schaefer, her husband who started Labrie, wrote mm-hmm. lots and lots of things. I think Edith is a wonderful writer. She's been really helpful to me in talking about a lot of what we've been talking about. How do we give God glory in the midst of our affliction? Not trying to get around it or our suffering, but living through it. Um, and I would also say the book of Job that, you know, the end where God answers Job out of the whirlwind, it's like chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41 or so. They, they give us such good perspective. I often go back to them when I'm in a place where I feel overwhelmed by depression. They help us understand our place in the world. And it's comforting, you know, to know he is so much bigger. His perspective is different. I'm not God. This isn't all there is. That That's a place that I often go back to just for comfort. How about you, Hope? Um, the only thing I would add to that is a book. Um, it's called Running Scared, mm. Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest by Ed Welch was really helpful to me. Um, he's a Christian therapist. And when I read it, and he struggles with it too, so reading it from a therapist who struggles with it, it was just like, oh my gosh. Oh, yes, 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 yes. You know, so that was really a helpful book for me, for sure. You know, as we're talking about it, we're talking about the struggle and the wrestle and how God is glorified in the midst of that. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't also talk about what we have to look forward to. So you kind of alluded to this, Chris, mm-hmm. but when the darkness settles over you, mm-hmm. Um, or when you you just feel like you can't catch your breath, hope because you're so stinking anxious. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that future hope that you look towards, and, and what do we have to look forward to? You know, when Christ returns. Oh, it's so good and rat, ri- like rich and it's fat and good. I mean, this could be a whole podcast, but we're, we're gonna <laughs> mm-hmm. we're gonna streamline it for mm-hmm. you right here. But there's that passage in Isaiah 25 that talks about a feast that we're going to sit down to a feast. And that there are those phrases that are um, the richest food, well-aged wine. This is not Denny's, you know? This is like the best <laughs> food ever by the best chefs. I mean, this is this is a banquet. And it's not like just with all your friends. It's with Jesus himself. And now we sit here in a place where, you know, we sit in our closets and we talk to him. 
We can't see him face to face. We know he's alive, but then he will be face to face with us. And not only that, we'll be in a city, you know, we'll be in a, the revelation has all these amazing descriptions of this Mm -hmm. beautiful city. And that is where we're going to a city and a banquet with him. And not, not only to say all the things we're not going to live with, you know, no more crying or shame or pain. Revelation 21, will wipe every tear from their eye. And, you know, the river of life that runs through the city, it is a banquet of the finest wine. And I'm going to tell you, I think there's a Cabernet there for me. <laughs> <laughs> you, I wish you could see the smile on my face in the closet. Definitely talking about the consummation is one of my simple joys. <laughs> so thanks for bringing that to me today. What are three of y'all's simple joys? This is a question that I have historically asked every guest on the Journey Women podcast. And just to get to know you guys a little bit better, I would love to hear, in addition to talking about uh, being face-to-face with our Savior forever and always, what are three of your simple joys? I know they will pale in comparison. (laughs) Right, yeah. Mine are definitely being outside is huge for me. Um, Being with my dog, Homer the Chihuahua, everyone who knows me in real life knows that. (laughs) And um, I'd say laughing with my husband or just anyone. I I just love to laugh. That's definitely a huge joy of mine. So fun. Yeah, I'd say walking with a friend. I really love to walk and I love to do it with a friend and good conversation with a good walk. If there's some hills, that's the best. I'd also say classical music. I can't quite get away from it. And, um, early morning coffee when there are no children awake. And maybe I have two dogs named Sriracha and Cholula, and they're both really fluffy and look like Ewoks. And they snuggle with me as I drink my coffee. (laughs) (laughs) They're really cute. If you go give her a follow on Instagram, you will see a lot of pictures of the (laughs) dogs. (laughs) Oh, well, you guys, I don't know how long it's been since I've known you. It's one of those things where I feel like I've known you a lot longer than I actually have which is a sign Mm -hmm. of a kindred heart. But in that short period of time, you've really had such a great impact on my journey with Jesus. I know you've had an impact on all of those women who are doing at His Feet studies even now, and I'm so grateful. And it just makes me want to ask, who is it that's had the greatest impact on your own journeys with Jesus? You know, I wasn't going to say this, but I, I thought about it some more, and I would say it would probably be my husband. I know that's so cheesy, but... He, and that's Michael Gordon, he has helped me understand in a very practical way what long-suffering love looks like. I mean, he's the one who has lived with me through those bouts of depression and helped Mm -hmm. me get out of bed. Mm -hmm. And actually, I actually warned him before we got married and said, now listen, this this is a week before our marriage. And it was one of those bouts where I was in bed and I said, it could look like this every day. This is your last chance. You might want to get out. That's what I said to him. And he married me anyway. Mm. And he's lived <laughs> with me through all of these. He's also a really big picture person with, an. we met in seminary. He's a pastor. He has an amazing ability to summarize biblical concepts. So he's my go-to person with theological questions. He told me last night, he's my ghost writer. So a lot of times, you know, I'll wake him up at seven in the morning and I'm like, why do you think Paul used this verb? And he's looking at me like, who are you and why are you talking to me? But he's my go-to, you know? And so he's had a, he's had a huge influence on me and how I think about the Bible and also just seeing Jesus and his, his tenderness towards me. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I could easily answer my husband and I'm not just saying that either because Chris said it. I mean, you know, when, when you, when you live with a man who loves you and points you towards Jesus, and even when you go in and out of the pit, 
it's a remarkable thing. So he is definitely a huge grace to me and that has had a huge impact on me. Um, But I would say my first mentor, Wendy, who I met in Philadelphia when I was counseling inner city kids and she now has Parkinson's, but she showed me before I understood what she was showing me he can do beautiful things with suffering. You know, she demonstrated that in real time to me. And I was so young that I didn't know what I was seeing. But now I think, oh my gosh, everything that I'm understanding at this point, she told me 15, 16 years ago. And, and so, but I just definitely, um, she's had a huge, huge impact and continues to on my life. Um, I remember a question that I got in the early days of Journey Women from one of the listeners. And she said, you know, when I hear stories about suffering, when I hear about people who are wrestling with things like this and who have been wrestling with it for their whole life, it scares me. And she talked about that in relation to Job. She's like, you know, it scares me to want to grow in my relationship with the Lord because I'm fearful that maybe there would be some type of affliction that would, yes, draw me closer to Him in intimacy, but but it really terrifies me to think about that coming about as a result of like desiring to grow uh-huh. in relationship with Him. Do you have any encouragement for women who might be hearing this even now and thinking, man, I don't want to wrestle like that? Yeah. You know, um, years ago, I had an amazing a therapist named Diane Langberg. She's wonderful. Google her. You should read all her stuff. And um, she's a believer. And she, she said to me, you know, um, God will not be there in your like imagination. He will be with you in the present. And so he promises that he doesn't promise to go ahead. So when you do that worst case scenario thinking of like, oh my gosh, what affliction is coming to me? Is it cancer? Is it kid dying? Is it, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, I am, I, I'm yeah, the chief yeah, yeah. in that. Okay. I'm the queen bee of <laughs> ruminating and projecting and pre-grieving. Okay. So, but she said, God will not be there with you in that he will be in the present. Mm. And so that was huge for me. So for all you women, they're like, oh my gosh, what's coming my way? Just stop. Say, Jesus, I need you to hold me today. And he will, and he's with you today. And he will be with you no matter what he always, you know, another dear friend um, used to say, God will always show up. He promises to. And so I have clung to those things when I start to get thinking about, oh gosh, what's coming, what's coming, because I'm a believer. Instead of thinking, you're with me today, you're going to be with me, you know, in the moment and just staying in the moment instead of, you know, preemptively thinking. Because in your imagination, oh, she used to say, you're an atheist in your imagination. Mm. And so um, just really staying in the moment and not and not going ahead and and, you know, and that's really helped me when I think about the suffering and, you know, oh gosh, when I hear someone else's suffering as an anxious person, I assume that that's going to happen to me. I mean, Chris knows, Chris talks me off the ledge about this all the time. Um, but that has really greatly helped me is that he's with me today. You know, he's with us right now. And, and so, um, and he'll be with me Mm -hmm. tomorrow, Mm -hmm. whatever tomorrow is. Chris, do you have any additional thoughts on talking us off a ledge? For sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, We all need to be talked off the ledge every once in a while, right? That's, that's what we're for. Let's just name that the the whole episode. Talk, talk, talk your friends. <laughs> Seriously, that's what you need to do in Jesus', Jesus. name. Um, yeah, I think I think just thinking about the Psalms. You know, one of the one of the studies we wrote together was a Psalm study, and I would say I have to remind myself. Now you got to talk to yourself. You've talked about this in the in your other podcast. We have got to talk to ourselves, and we don't do it enough. We think we're crazy. No, no, no. You got to talk to yourself. You got to tell yourself what's true. Mm-hmm. And part of what the Psalms does is they say, they say all the time, "What's his track record? What's his track record, Chris? What's mm-hmm. his track record? Yep. What's his track record with Israel? 
What, what has he done before? He took you to the edge of the Red Sea and you thought you were screwed. What did he do? Well, you weren't, you know, and I, I have to tell myself, I think what's helpful as a depressed person is I'm not necessarily anticipating the future. And to the woman out there who's going, oh my gosh, what if it, what if it's awful? What if it's the worst possible scenario? Absolutely to what Hope said. And also if you have to sit down and write down, what are the places in your life that you got to the point where you go, this is awful. I'm not going to get through it. And then you write down also what he did for you, because I guarantee Mm. his track record with you is faithfulness and how he's been yesterday is how he's going to be today is how he's going to be tomorrow. He doesn't change. He's still going to be faithful. And that's what the Psalms do all through them is they make you remember over and over. They give you what's your Ebenezer. What are you going to hold on to? That's, that's where we got to go. Mm-hmm. My mentor in college used to always pray over me when I was struggling in moments like these. Uh, would you would you call to mind the way in which you've been faithful to your people throughout all of history? And then even beyond that, would you call to mind the ways in which you've been faithful to her uniquely and personally in the past? Mm-hmm. And that's just such a mm-hmm. huge encouragement. And I pray that as everybody gets off this podcast today, that they will just be reminded of the faithfulness of God no matter what it is they're walking through today. Thank you guys so much for joining me on the Journey Women podcast. It's been a joy to have you on the show. Thank you. We love you, Hunter. We love you. After listening back through this conversation, I was so tempted just to hit publish immediately because I knew it would be such a helpful resource. We pray it's a gift to you and the women you're doing life together with in your local context. If you enjoyed hearing from Hope and Chris, I highly recommend checking out their Bible studies at his feet, which you can find along with other helpful stuff like discussion questions and recommended resources from this episode over in the show notes at journeywomenpodcast.com. Don't forget, guys, this is a series. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss next week's episode on the freedom of self-forgetfulness with Ruth Joe Simons. Throughout the series, you can connect with us over at Journey Women Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. This episode was edited by Chris Mann and the Pod Shaper team. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. It's an